Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Late Breaking F1 podcast. My name is Ben Hawking. Been something of a quiet week in Formula One. Not a right lot happening. Uh, oh wait, no. Hang on. Everything has happened. We've we've got a lot to discuss tonight. Unfortunately, I have got the the best in the business alongside me, Harry Eden, Samuel Sage. I mean, it, it's been a bit busy, hasn't it, lads? Sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Before we go into any Formula One talk, two things I would like to speak about. First is that IndyCar, the Twitter account, has just tweeted the words IndyCar. So go check that out because I've got no idea what's going on in America. Uh, secondly, second. Ben, you've called us the best in the business. Did you, are you all right today? Because we all know that's not true. What I usually find is if I pay you a compliment on one in every four or five podcasts, it means I can get away with insulting you as much as I like on the others. <laughs> it needs to be semi-believable, I think. Exactly. But yes, yes, Formula One has been absolutely hectic in the last what 48 hours i feel um everything's happened and for once they've done it before a wednesday evening when we record our podcast so thank you formula one you finally seen that we are the entertainment and you've given us the correct information we need to make it even better so cheers lads yeah i mean thank you thank you f1 but could you this is my only gripe with this could they have like space things out a bit like i know i know hamilton getting covid is you can't you can't plan that, but you know, still, come on. It was a lot. It was a lot in the space of forty eight hours. I'm exhausted again. It has been a bit ridiculous, and you raise a good point, Sam. Thank you very much, Formula One, for putting this in before our podcast. Usually, these announcements are left to a Thursday, right after we announce. Um, so, good stuff. Good stuff there. Um, so, we might as well crack on with it, considering this might be the uh, the busiest show we've had in a long time. Um, the Sakia Grand Prix is on the horizon. We're back in Bahrain, but a slightly different configuration of the circuit. 
Who might this benefit? We'll be asking that question later on. The race itself will have not one, but two debutants. So Pietro Fittipaldi is filling in for Roman Grosjean at Haas, who, by the way, is doing very well after his crash at the weekend. And Jack Aitken is making his debut at Williams. So we'll be discussing both of those guys. Haas have actually announced who will be driving for them in 2021. It will be Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. Heavily rumoured for a while, of course, but it is now confirmed. So our reaction on how they might fare and whether Callum Eilert has been a bit hard done by. But first of all, Lewis Hamilton will not be taking part in a Formula One Grand Prix for the first time since 2006. Uh, It was announced this week that he tested positive for COVID-19. So all three of us, of course, will send him our best. Um, But it has opened the door for George Russell to step into the Mercedes, perhaps on a one-off. Sam, what do you think is a realistic target for Russell this weekend? Top two. I mean, it still has to be top two. George Russell is no slouch. I think he knows that if he ever gets one chance to prove himself as being a a man that can do it on the occasion, he needs to at least be just behind Bottas. I think Bottas is in possibly the worst situation in Formula 1 that we've seen for a little while when you are in a possible winning car. Your main competition, the guy that has been putting you to the sword almost, it feels like, for the last few weekends, is out. He can't race. He's going to have to sit on the sidelines and watch. And you're thinking... Here we go. This is porridge time. We're going to stroll over the line. It's going to feel good. George Russell enters the chat. Hello, it's George Russell. Uh, so Bottas now has to absolutely decimate George Russell. I'm talking kind of, you know, 20 seconds across the whole race, 20, 25 seconds, a pit stop difference for Bottas to come away from this and look properly good. Unfortunately, I don't see that will happen. George Russell is a great driver. I think Bottas is likely to beat Russell, but... Um, I think Bottas, even if he only beats Russell by five, six seconds, says that George Russell's got in that car for the first time. He's only five, six seconds across the whole race behind you, Bottas. What's going on there? George Russell, on the other hand, I still think he should get top two. But even if he does get, you know, finish behind maybe Verstappen and finish his third, that's not a bad performance for your first time in a car. And we saw how, you know, how many plaudits and compliments someone like uh, Nico Hulkenberg got in the racing point when he jumped in. And he had more points than the entire Ferrari's career in this season in one race. And he was struggling. So Russell, I think, is going to have a lot of fun this weekend. I think he needs to finish minimum top three still, though. And I think it can reflect very badly on a lot of people if he does do well. Alex Albon being another person, if it shows that you could be that close to your teammate after very little experience. Um, so for me, Russell has got it all to gain. Not too much to lose unless he absolutely bings it himself. I'm hoping he gets a top three to show that he can do it. I also think this will quieten a lot of the uh, it's just the car that means Lewis Hamilton wins issues. I think we're going to see that there will be a drop-off in overall speed from the whole Mercedes team. What do you reckon, Harry? Where do you think Russell should be aiming this weekend? Race win, mate. Fastest lap. Pole position. <laughs> nothing uh, Nothing else will do. Uh, I think a podium, a podium finish would be great. But I don't think, even if he didn't finish on the podium, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think if he can show you know, relative speed to Bottas within quali and the race, I think that'll be classed as a good good weekend. I mean, it's kind of the almost the perfect storm in terms of where to have your, your debut for, for Mercedes because we're going to a track that's got approximately four braking zones and about eight, nine corners, if that, Um so he's not going to do too much on the lap, apart from, you know, press the throttle really hard. So that that'll help. He hasn't got to, you know, learn too much of the car going around too many corners. 
Um, but yeah, I you know, I don't I don't think I don't think Mercedes will judge it on the final result, you know, in the race. I think they'll just be looking for his pace throughout the weekend, uh, whether it's over one lap or over a race distance in relation to Bottas. And if he's in within a certain target, I'm not going to name one. I, I don't know what would be a, you know, let's say half a second, but I, I don't know what they'd aim for. Um, if he's within that half second mark of Bottas, you know, all weekend, I think Mercedes would be, would be pleased, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge opportunity for him. And I don't think it can go. I mean, it can go wrong, but I don't think it can go, it can, it, it won't have a huge impact even if it, if it did go wrong. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's his, it's his early Christmas present, isn't it? Like a really, really big, shiny Christmas present for George Russell. It certainly is. It's not an opportunity he would have been expecting to get. Um, I'm leaning towards where you're heading, really, Harry, in terms of, I think if he gets a top, even a top six start and a top five finish, I don't think that's a, that's a travesty. I think that's an absolutely acceptable result. That might be at the lower end of what you want, might want to expect. If he does get a podium, that's brilliant for him and, and definitely uh, go some way to stake his claim for 2022. But I don't think it's a travesty if he does end up finishing just outside, just off the podium. It is difficult to come in as a reserve driver. There is that experience issue that he doesn't have. Having said that, this isn't an exactly, uh, this isn't a situation that can be completely mirrored by that of Nico Hulkenberg at Racing Point because Nico Hulkenberg had to come into the team pretty much from scratch. Um, you know, he has that experience with Racing Point a few years back, but other than that, he didn't really have any prior experience whatsoever. Here, you know, George Russell has experience of the team. He is obviously a part of their program. He has experience of the power unit that he uses at Williams. The car itself, uh, they have a they have a relationship with Mercedes. Mercedes and Williams do. Uh, the car itself, he's, he's driven. So I, I don't necessarily think that it is going into the car fresh in the same way that Nico Hulkenberg had to. So maybe we should, as a result, expect more relative speaking compared to Hulkenberg but like I say I, I think if, you, if he finishes just off the podium it's not an awful result for him um, and he does have a little bit of um, he is if we're going on last week's times and of course it is a different configuration but I don't think it will be wildly different he will have a bit of fat in there in terms of a few tenths of a second in qualifying as an example we saw that only really Max Verstappen was consistently within one second of of the Mercedes guys. Everyone else was one second backwards. So even if Russell is giving up temps at a time, it's still likely that that would be enough to beat a lot of his uh, a lot of the midfield drivers. So he, he does have a bit of an insurance policy there. I just want to say to Mercedes actually quickly, someone needs to tell Mercedes how reserve drivers work. 100% what they are. Yeah. There have technically been, with Nico Hulkenberg doing three races this year, plus the race that George Russell is doing, four opportunities for their either Gutierrez or Van Dorn to do a race as a reserve driver, and they've done a collective zero. What's the point in having the reserve drivers if you're not going to use them when you need to? I understand why they've gone for Russell, obviously. Makes complete sense considering their future and what they'd be considering, but come on. What's the point in having them there? Regardless, that is a separate point. 
this is a massive opportunity for George Russell. Uh, I wish him the best. Um, it is going to be a difficult one um, for him coming into that car, at least from a, you know, just from a scratch basis. Like he, he's going to, he might struggle against Valtteri Bottas and I anticipate that he won't beat Valtteri Bottas, but that's not even necessarily what would constitute a good weekend for him. He's in a, he is in a great spot, George Russell. And we've discussed this before, how he is in a great spot and how Valtteri Bottas is in a horrible, horrible position. I don't envy him whatsoever because he can't win. He can't win. Imagine a situation where Valtteri Bottas claims pole by three tenths of a second and he wins the race by five seconds. Who looks better coming out of that weekend? Probably Russell. Even if Bottas wins and takes a relatively comfortable victory, I still think there are questions floating about. It is like you said, Sam, unless he goes out there and dominates, I don't think anyone is going to go away from the weekend being 100% content with Bottas. It's a horrible spot for him, particularly given how we know George Russell is a very good driver, even if he does have that experience deficit to Valtteri Bottas, both in terms of overall F1 experience and also Mercedes-specific experience. And really for Mercedes, this is a bit... I think this is a, will be a bit of an eye-opener for them because we know that Lewis Hamilton is not going to be around forever. We know that Lewis Hamilton is definitely closer to the end of his career than he is to the start. How many years Lewis Hamilton goes on for remains a question. Will he go on for another three years? Will it be another five years? It's entirely possible, but we don't know at this point. And it's not even just a question of how long he will go on in Formula One. It's also a question of how long he will go in Formula One at the level that he's displaying right now, because he's still on the top of his game. But at some point, if he doesn't retire beforehand, he will regress. When that will be is anyone's guess again, but it's going to happen at some point. Mercedes need a plan for the future. And this is kind of an early sign of it. Hamilton's not going to be there for the first time. They need someone to step into the car. Imagine if Max Verstappen wins, as an example. He he wins the race, which is entirely possible. That really doesn't look good for Bottas on his claim to be the number one driver when Lewis Hamilton steps aside, because it could happen where Bottas is not old enough at the moment that he could have a few years as the Mercedes number one, age-wise, if not talent-wise. That one's more up for debate. Yeah, and... Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc are very clearly in the futures of Red Bull and Ferrari, respectively, as their guy. George Russell is beginning to tread water in Williams. This would be an example where George Russell can go in Mercedes and show what he can do and also show what might happen if they keep George Russell's development back enough that he's in Williams for a third season or a fourth season, as an example. Um, Yeah, it... It's difficult, but yeah, I I think this might be an eye opener for Mercedes. I mean, just to just to finish up on Valtteri Bottas as well, because um, both myself and Sam have kind of had our say on Bottas and what he might need to achieve. Harry, do you think that there's any way Bottas comes out of this weekend looking better than what he's going in? Uh, yeah, I mean, Bottas, he. He just wants the season to be over, and he was like, you know, finally, another another duff race in Bahrain. There's only two left. I'm out of here, lads. And then, and then Lewis goes and get COVID, and he's like, oh, Lewis, mate, what are you doing? 
what are you doing to me? It's not enough to beat me on the track. You've got to then give me another beating by then getting a reserve driver in to make me look bad. Yeah, I mean, Bottas needs to win. Like, he needs to dominate. He needs to dominate qualifying. He needs to dominate the race. Um, you know, and if if Russell comes second, Bottas needs to beat him by a big margin, like 30 seconds or something like that. Um, you know, and, and I guess we... It, there'll be other factors, I guess. You know, if we have a safety car and Russell's in second and Bottas is in first, they, they, the gap might be smaller. But it needs to be, you know, a convincing gap at some point during the race, um, and and in quality as well. I think it needs to be, like I said, that kind of half second needs to be over that. I think if Bottas wants to come out of it looking good, so yeah, I just feel for the guy. He it, he's he just wanted to go home. He wants to go back back to Monaco. And now he's gonna be like he's gotta try this weekend. Probably doesn't want to, but anyway. How <laughs> he's gotta try. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can I um can I also just elaborate on my album point before I'm Lynch? Sure. Um obviously in my previous spiel I said that this could look bad for album, and some people might be a little bit confused as to what I meant by that, so I didn't go into too much detail. Um obviously we've said the whole way throughout basically the last eighteen months that album's been with Verstappen as a teammate at Red Bull that Albon doesn't need to beat Verstappen. We've said this so many times. His objective is not to be the leader of that team. He's meant to be the second driver, the backup, the support. And we have said time after time after time that the same machinery, in qualifying, you should probably be two to three tenths and the next position behind your teammate in qualifying, which Albon regularly struggles to do. You know, not often have they been third and fourth in in qualifying. Um, Bahrain was really an exception to the rule. Even then, the gap was still large. Uh, between the two of them. And then in racing, again, we've, we've said multiple times that Albon realistically needs to be finishing maybe six, seven seconds behind Verstappen and needs to be there to support him so they can take the strategy to Mercedes. Now, the issue here is that if Russell turns up in a car that he's only driven a couple of times in terms of practice or, um, you know, like filming days and whatnot, and he's able to stick behind Bottas and qualify next to him, and then finish the race within five, six, seven seconds on his first race out there, it shows you what a a newcomer driver, essentially, to a team is able to do against a seasoned race winner. You know, he's led races, he's qualified on pole many times. Bottas is no slouch. Bottas had some bad races. He's had some bad luck. He's had some bad races. But he's no slouch. And I think you take Lewis Hamilton out of that car, and realistically, Bottas is the man that wins the championship. So if Russell was able to turn up and be within seven, eight seconds of Bottas through the whole race. It looks great on Russell. doesn't look great on Bottas, but it looks great on a guy that's able to turn up as a rookie, essentially in a new team, and deploy a race result that you would go, wow, great stuff. That's what you need for a second driver at the moment, which Russell would be to Bottas currently. And, and, and if he's able to do that, and Albon still isn't after 18 months of being in that car, learning that car, developing the team, developing his skills, understanding how the car works and drives and changes, that's why I think the album then gets looked at in a negative manner. Um, I just didn't want people to think that I was literally coming for Alex's album then. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so just confirmation there that Sam does hate Alex's album. <laughs> Agreed. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, of course, yeah, the, the thing we've mentioned already is that the circuit is going to be a slightly different configuration to what we saw last time out. Um, Harry, how do you think this might impact the race? Do you think that some of the teams that 
that didn't quite do so well last time might be a bit further up in terms of performance and vice versa? Well, I mean, Ferrari are going to be even further down than they were last time. I think that's a, that's a given. I think all Ferrari-powered cars are going to struggle. Um, will it benefit anyone else? The Renault, that's pretty slippy in a straight line. They didn't have a... I mean, they still score points, but they didn't have a great race in comparison to to uh, to McLaren last time. Um, you know, I'd say racing point, but they, they were on for a good result anyway. But they were kind of unlucky there. Um, but, that you know, they'll benefit. They got the Mercedes PU. It, it might alter the midfield a tiny bit, but um, to be honest, I think it's going to be absolute carnage. So it could be a completely random result, and it's and, you know it's it's pretty open going into the weekend as well with no no Lewis Hamilton. What a what a weird thing that is. Yeah, we were saying earlier on how Lewis Hamilton not being a part of uh, Formula One Grand Prix for the first time since two thousand and six, which means the last time. Uh, that was the case. Both myself and Harry were in primary school and Sam was just getting his OAP bus pass, Yeah, um, <laughs> which is fantastic. I love free transport. Thank God. <laughs> I'm waiting 65 years for that. Do you know what? We've been, we've been friends for what, like seven Too years long. now. And the, and, the sa- and the making fun of Sam being a year older than us, it just doesn't get old. I, I like him. <laughs> yeah, for the record, he's like 15, 16 months older. Not 16 years, as you'd think. Quite, what? yeah. You can easily put us all in the same age group, immediately looking at us. We look no different. I do look no older. I behave the youngest by far. Uh, but yes, regularly seen as a 93-year-old veteran <laughs> of life. <laughs> anyway, slight detour on that. Sam, how do you think that the different configuration might uh, suit certain teams? There's only one corner in sector three. This is true. <laughs> it's the last corner. I mean, apparently that is two corners, which is a lie. That is baloney. So it's one corner. Sector three is one corner. It's baffling me. Sorry. This whole concept that we're, we're not on an oval, but I get what they're on about. It needs to be round for it to be an oval. But um, there's what? Nine corners. Uh, the fact that they haven't ramped it up to three DRS zones actually surprised me. Um, but this definitely suits... Mercedes and Renault. Uh, Honda are improving. Ferrari are nowhere in engine power. Renault are doing so well at power tracks. And McLaren, hello, fourth and fifth last time out last week. The guys are doing a brilliant job. Norris and Sainz are on such great form as a team. Performance after performance churned in. The points are running in now third in the Constructors' Championship as well. It's all looking good for Renault power cars. We've seen that Ricardo, if he didn't get stuck behind Ocon as well, might have progressed up the field a lot further last week out. So I think that the Renault power teams are going to be surprisingly strong uh, when it is just constantly flat out. Mercedes, obviously, I think will do well. I think we might see some DNS and failures because of the constant use of top-end speed on these engines. So I think Mercedes are still going to be the overall favourites. But I wouldn't be shocked if we see McLaren and Renault really up there with um, with the Red Bull guys um, fighting it over kind of the, the, the second row of the grid. Maybe uh, a front row start for someone new because if, if Russell can't get to grips with the car that easily, he does qualify maybe fifth or sixth, then that opens the door for maybe a, a Norris or a Ricardo to, to stick it on to second place. You can assume that Verstappen with his, with his core talent looks strong for it, but I think that the engine power around here is going to be really, really, really potent. And Renault do have the extra legs, so... Keep your eyes peeled. I do think there might be a bit of a mix-up. Yeah, I I personally don't think the 
differences are going to be as big uh, as anticipated here. Uh, I think that the order will stay pretty much the same. Um, Sector one and sector three are essentially the same as what we would normally see on the on the normal Bahrain circuit. Um, It's only really the middle sector that that's changing. And even on the normal middle sector, whilst you do have the uh, a couple of slow corners as you go through the middle sector normally, uh, you still do have one big straight in the normal middle sector. So uh, I don't actually think it will change too much. Um, I think there will be a slight advantage for those who've got a power unit advantage here. So uh, McLaren looked strong last time, so they should be even stronger again out there. Renault, who looked fairly strong in qualifying but didn't quite have the race pace, perhaps they get a bit closer. Um, you know, Perez, as long as he doesn't have another issue, he should be there or thereabouts as well. And Stroll as well, um, if he doesn't get flipped over um, to the cars the wrong way around, he might be all right as well. But like you say, Ferrari, they are likely to go even further back, which, I mean, they didn't have much of a starting place anyway. They were they were the sixth fastest team going into uh, sorry I think the seventh fastest team I should say going into the race on the Sunday uh, and you know Leclerc managed to snatch a point through well pure luck really with the Perez incident happening um, but you'd be surprised if they're going to be any more competitive this time out just on how poor that that power unit is very ironic considering what position we were in about a year ago. Um, so yeah, I don't think I don't think either of those guys are going to be going to be all that competitive. The ironic thing is, if Ferrari are not doing very well again, and Haas have got a new driver in their car, I don't think Alfa Romeo will be very competitive. The ironic thing about George Russell moving up to Mercedes, this could be the best <laughs> chance for a Williams point we've had all year. We saw I told George... you earlier, it's going to be aching. It's, it's going to be aching. It's going to happen. No, it's not. Kick the teeth, he's coming through. <laughs> so, I mean, George Russell, he he finished 12th last week and he beat a lot of the guys that are usually in and around him. So if, if there's a bit of carnage, theoretically, Russell would have been in a very similar spot this weekend. And who knows, maybe Latifi or Aitken will be in that spot and claim a point for the team. But um, yeah, they might find themselves at the head of that pack, Williams, uh, compared to where they usually are, which is just behind them. So I think the, the wild card as well, just to say, might be Alpha Tauri here because Gasly looked very strong in practice throughout last weekend's Bahrain Grand Prix. And he, did, he had a very good result as well, obviously, he scored a number of points. Um, but he was going for a different strategy compared to everyone else. So we never really got an opportunity to see his overall pace uh, with the McLarens and the Renaults. Where I think he'd be about there. But yeah, like I say, he was on a different strategy. So he didn't have that exact sort of comparative points. So I'm interested to see what they might do and, and whether Kvyat can do any better. Theoretically, considering what happened at the weekend, don't think Kvyat can do worse. Not to say that... Not, just to clarify, not saying that the incident with Grosjean was his fault, obviously, but he just had a nightmare, didn't he? Yes, absolute Tony Blair, complete stinker. He did. He did. I, I think that he's come under some really unfair criticism for it as well. Um, so I'm really hoping that he gets a proper good result this weekend. The kind of, you know, to his critics out there, wink, wink. Um, maybe that will shut them up if he can pull out some great points. Yeah, I think it could well be better than. <laughs> I just, you know, thought Bottas might want to talk to his critics again when he beats Russell. This is true. This is true. To whom it may concern. 
to whom it may concern, I'm the new Lewis Hamilton. Guaranteed team radio after the race. Let's go on to bold predictions. I mean, I'm not even sure if any prediction is bold this weekend, but we're going to give it a go regardless. Sam, what have you got? Oh, after what I just said, I can't believe I'm saying this, but both Williams cars are going to score points. Both Williams cars are going to score yes. points. You heard yes. it here first. And the only time you'll hear it as well, probably. <laughs> Jack Aitken, mate, you better like me because that... Oh. If, if you score points and Russell has gone that long without Inga Williams, then... Jeez, but I think it's going to happen. I think this track is the one... Just a big, long line. I think it's finally going to suit the Williams team. Can you imagine if Aitken scores a point and for whatever reason Russell doesn't finish the race? Yeah, Oof. imagine that. Imagine imagine if Latifi takes out Russell when he's being lapped and Aitken is the one that picks up the place. <laughs> and they decide that they should actually put Aitken in the car next year and Russell has to take a year out. Sorry, George. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this gone? Move on. Sorry, George. Anyway, so bold prediction from Sam is that both Williams cars will score points this weekend. Harry, what have you got to compete with that? Uh, My bold prediction is that because we are at a circuit that is just basically flat out for most of the time, only a few braking zones, so we're going to have five PU power unit failures. Not saying which ones. No, that's that's bold enough by itself. PU! Oh no, stinky. Stinky prediction from Harry Eade. Five power units saying like no, no, no and going out. Okay. No, no. They will actually all say that, the power unit themselves. <laughs> That's the noise the cars make next year, isn't it? They drive it when they're, when they're turned on. Yep, yeah. it's true. It's all true. You only get bare facts here on the Lake Breaking F1 podcast. My bold prediction. Is that facts about bears? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> The grizzly bear? No, no not, not going into that. So, my bold prediction. You'll remember last time out. Or you might remember if you were listening. Hopefully you were. My bold prediction last time out was that Nicholas Latifi would escape Q1 and qualify 14th or higher in Q2. You might also remember that that didn't quite happen. Nicholas Latifi decided, you know what, I'd like to do well but I'd like even more for Ben not to get his bold prediction right. So I'm going to finish. I'm going to start last. Nicholas Latifi, as a result of this, I'm going against you this week. Oh wow! I think that Jack Aitken will out-qualify Nicholas Latifi. Oh, is are Latifi's you sure? Over? Yeah, I think that might be more bold than me saying that two Williams will be in the points. Latifi, you have wronged me, sir. it's the the worst vendetta anyone's ever seen (laughs) Latifi versus Ben is the fight everyone wants to see so underwhelming through fear (laughs) like you're seeing Ben just stay outside your house being like I'm here for the vendetta you'd be like in those trainers you mean the vendetta (laughs) he's brought it out (laughs) you deserve that Um, I've got nothing against Nicholas Latifi of course but that's my bold prediction Poll one, two, three. Harry, what have you got? Uh, Poll is going to be Porridge Man himself because he doesn't even need to version up for this one. Sure. Uh, he can be the same as last week. Um, and then the win is going to go to Porridge Man as well. And then second place is going to be Verstappen. And third place is going to be Sergio Perez. 
<laughs> no, you you can't do Sergio <laughs> Perez again. It worked once, but it was never designed it to work twice. Worked last time. So close last time. But, you know, I think he's on great form. And I think, yeah, without, without an engine failure, he was obviously going to get the podium. So, uh, yeah, come on, come on, Checo. That's fair Don't enough. let me down. What do you reckon, Sam? I think that Porridge Cake King Man with the best moustache Bottas, that is his now official name, that's his full title if you were to Wikipedia him, um, is going to be on pole. And I think that um, Verstappen is going to win the race. I think Bottas will be second. And I think Carlos Sainz will be third. (laughs) Nice. Tasty. Um, it's actually not that dissimilar to what I've got. I've gone for Porridge Boss version 1.0. As you say, Harry, he doesn't need to level up this week, uh, but he'll still claim pole position. But I think he'll claim the win as well. So I've got Bottas first, Verstappen second place, and I've also got Carlos Sainz finishing third. He had a good race last time up. When um, Bottas does level up, is it like in Mario where you, you pick up the bubble and it allows your car to grow about 30 times and you do that noise that... Um... That sounded more like Tigger than Mario, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and then just to do that star, like, song that plays in Mario as he's just bumping through everyone. Is that what happens? In qualifying, when they turn the engines up, he turns into that massive bullet thing. <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> a bullet. <laughs> bullet Bottas. I mean, of all people who would sound like an amalgamation of Tigger and Mario, Valtteri Bottas is not at the top of the list. <laughs> Can't imagine. Well, with that, we're moving on. We're moving on to Haas because there were heavy rumours that their lineup for 2021 would be Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. These rumours are now confirmed to be true. So Haas going with an all-rookie lineup next year after four years of Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean. Sam plenty of options for them what do you make of their decision and how they'll get on uh mick schumacher 100 agree with the guys leading the title he has done a brilliant job in terms of um that overall consistency maybe not winging races all the time when maybe he should have done but you're at the top for a reason um and the guys do what he needs to do and i think for marketing re- reasons it's a fantastic you know guy to put in the car and from a personal reason the fact that we're going to be able to see the name Schumacher on a Formula One grid again is a little bit emotional. But I'm going to try and separate him from his dad because he deserves his own career, his own uh, achievements. So, very excited. Think he's capable. Looking forward to see what he does. And the other seat, on the other hand, Nikita Mazepin is um, a controversial gentleman. Uh, for those that are maybe new to the junior formulas or... Um, for those that don't watch the junior formulas, they just pay attention to Formula 1, which is totally understandable. If you don't have a lot of time, you just fight the big guns. Uh, Mazepin has been known to do a few things. He's uh, assaulted Callum Eilat, um after they, well, after Eilat blocked Mazepin in practice. Eilat being the other person, of course, that was up for selection out of those junior drivers. Uh, he's thrown a position board at Yuki Tsunoda. Um, there are many accusations flying around the, uh, the Twitter sphere of Formula 1 that certain people have received certain things from Mazepin without consent. And uh, recently, he Instagram posted, uh, happy birthday to the uh, the guy that ate a bat in China, were his exact words. Hashtag happy birthday COVID. Um, as you can see, maybe slightly irresponsible 
Um, but he's, you know, he's a young guy. Hopefully he grows out of that behavior and becomes a mature and uh, responsible young man. And we see something brilliant from him. But do I think he actually deserves that half seat? No, I don't. I think Callum Eilert deserves that half seat. Um, I think he should at least get a year. The guy is the closest to winning the title other than Schumacher. One good race uh, for the uh, junior uh, junior guys this time out in Sakir, and he wins the title if Schumacher has a bit of a bad one. I'm pretty gutted that Eilert is going to be going off somewhere where I really do think he deserves that seat over Mazepin. I think Mazepin has time to develop. I think Mazepin has the financial capability to go anywhere he wants to. I think his father is, what, a Russian oligarch worth several billions of pounds? Um, the guy can do whatever he wants in the long run, and Eilert has not had that backing in the same manner. Um, and I think Eilert's just, you know, he, he's just performed better across the whole season. So I'm, I'm a bit gutted. But let's hope that Mazepin can grow up a bit, turn out some good performances and really earn that spot. Um, and there's another few games further back, but the likes of Schwartzman could definitely do another season in F2. He'll probably win it next season. Um, and we'll see him in Formula 1 very soon. But for me, if you're not going to pick Perez in that second seat, that was your chance to have Sergio Perez and Mick Schumacher in there. That would be my ideal lineup. It's a shame. It is a shame. So I think there's a few games that should go in front of Mazepin. I do think Schumacher should have been the rookie. What do you reckon, Harry, about what they've put together here? It's been a while since we've seen an all-rookie lineup. Yeah, it has, actually. Ben, do you know when the last one was? Because I no, don't. I'm trying to think, but well, it, it's probably on. an uh, awful you... team from like the 2010-2012 region. But... You, I can hear Sam Googling as we speak. Yes. So <laughs> I am. Back. I'm literally Googling it. Uh, yeah, so agree with Sam. You know, Schumacher is, yeah, you know, the, the name is obviously big. Um, but he's there on merit. He's driven, it sounds right, really consistently this year. Um, and that's why he's leading the championship. It may not have been this quick on occasions as, as other drivers, but he's not really been involved in many, if at all, incidents. I think he had a collision with his teammate at Silverstone, but apart from that, I can't think of any else this year. Um, yeah, so he's been he's been pretty consistent. And yeah, from a marketing point of view, having Schumacher on your team is big. Um, Mazepin... Uh, you know, controversial personality aside, um, he is obviously third in the championship, but that is behind Callum Eilot, who, you know, if you're going to have two rookies, either put Eilot and Schumacher in, and I get there's a money element involved there. Um, but, you know, before I, I had a quick Google of his stats, before he, this year, and he did F3, the F3 Asian championship before this, and they did Formula 2 before that. So before that, and GP3 in 2018, he's done, he's been, been rubbish. Like, 18th in F2 the first time he did it. He was second in GP3, to be fair. Then Formula 3, he was 10th. British Formula 3, he was 23rd. So you go all the way back, and he's, he's not even got top 10 from there on in. So, yeah, he's not had the best record as a junior driver, but, um, you know, time will tell. I agree with Sam. They should have... You know, we've been begging Haas to change their lineup for ages, and they did it. And now they've gone completely the opposite direction and gone for a pretty risky lineup now. So they've got, yeah, two rookies. I'd have put, you know, you'd have put Perez in your, in your car any day. Um, a Perez Schumacher lineup, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I feel for Callum Arlott, like, he's been good this year. He has made mistakes, as we saw at the weekend as well. Um, but he, he deserves a drive in F1. But, you know, if you're basing it off this year, as they've done with Schumacher, I think. They were going to do a rookie lineup. It should have been Eilat and Schumacher, but um, yeah, hopefully Eilat 
finds another way in, but it'll be difficult. I can't short. find anywhere I'm the trying... last rookie lineup. Uh, my instinct would be it would be um, maybe Verline and Harrianto, unless one of the mana lineups before that. Uh, well, no, yeah, maybe that, maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Anyway, Harry, I completely agree with everything you said. How about Chilton and Bianchi. I guess that would be going a bit further back again, though. Oh, that yeah, that's true. That's what they were before. Yeah. Anyway, so Harry Hunter made it onto two podcasts in a row. I think then. Oh, Congrats. the streak should should keep going. He's he's a legend. <laughs> Best driver. Let's get him on from Let's Indonesia. Get him on. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh yeah. The best and only. The thing is, with what Haas are doing here, and you're right, we have said for quite a few years that Haas might need to change something up. Taking the actual drivers out of the equation, so actually taking Schumacher and Mazepin out of it just for a second and focusing on Haas making the decision to replace their two drivers with two rookies. If you're going to do that, and if you're going to do a two-driver switch, which, like we've said, hasn't happened in a long time, now is the best time to do it. You would much rather do it at the end of this season than do it at the end of next season because it's going to be much more important to get 2022 right than it is going to be for 2021. Haas are in a pretty bad position at the moment and likelihood is not a lot is going to change next year. They are more than likely going to be battling it out with Alfa Romeo and Williams for the bottom three spots. With so little changing in terms of regulations, it's unrealistic to think that it's going to be a situation anything distant from that. In which case, you might as well roll the dice now. You might as well give whoever your rookie is the experience of 2021. For then 2022, new regulations come in fresh. They've got a bit of experience under their belt and they're more ready to hit the ground running with a car that might be good enough to compete in the midfield again, which considering what Haas are, maybe that will happen. But you don't even get that opportunity if you're making this decision a year late. So I completely understand why they've made that decision now. I'm a bit surprised that they've gone down this this route. I mean, not surprised in that we've known this was probably going to be the lineup for a little while. But if you'd have asked me at the beginning of the season how I thought they might go about it, I, I would have presumed that they would have either kept one driver and brought in one rookie, something like a Magnussen and Schumacher combination, or they would have gone for an experienced new driver plus a rookie, Perez and Schumacher. I'm surprised that they've gone down the route of two completely brand new drivers, um, but so be it. Now to focus on the drivers themselves. Mick Schumacher, and I've always said if you win the Formula 2 championship, obviously we don't know if that's going to happen yet, you do deserve a shot in Formula 1. Schumacher's had a pretty good year. There are concerns for me when it comes to Schumacher and his overall uh, potential. I don't think he is an A-grade potential guy. I don't think he's a Charles Leclerc. I don't think he's a George Russell, a Lando Norris. I don't think he's going to be at that level, um, or at least I don't think he has the potential to get to that AA plus level. I think he has more potential to be in the the next group of drivers uh, and who that contains is up for discussion. But you know, I think the likes of Ocon, the likes of Albon, Gasly maybe, I think he will eventually end up in that group of drivers rather than the elite um, we have seen that he has taken time to adjust to series. That's ha- definitely happened in European Formula 3. A bit of controversy as to how that happened, but you know nothing was ever proven. So we'll say that that was on merit alone. 
The same thing has happened in Formula 2. Didn't have a great first year, had a much better second year. So it does seem as if he takes a little while to adjust. And I don't think he's a great qualifying guy either. Um, he's much better in terms of his racecraft than he is in qualifying, which could well be taken from his dad. But yeah, I don't think he's a fantastic qualifier. Having said that, he definitely does have potential to be at least a good Formula 1 driver in that he gets great starts. Uh, and yeah, his racecraft is solid. Um, he might well be the next Lance Stroll in that respect. But if anything, I would say his potential is a little bit higher than Lance Stroll, albeit not that much higher. Um, do think he's a prospect. Uh, I do think he deserves a spot in Formula One. And I think uh, of all the rookies, he's been the most... Yeah, he's, he's had that consistency this year. I can't remember many times where he's been outside of that top eight. So I think he deserves a shot in Formula One. Glad to see that he's got it. Now moving on to Nikita Mazepin. Um, character issues. Character issues is probably the, the one blanket term for this. Sam went into them a, a lot more deeper than that. But yeah, he. I am concerned in that respect that he is not ready mentally for Formula One because it is a tough world. Um, and I, I'm not sure if he has the maturity for it, which would be a shame. Uh, and I say it's a shame because I do actually think he has a lot of potential to be to be as good as Schumacher. Um, maybe slightly behind, but not all that much behind. I don't think he should be labelled just as a pay driver. If you were listening to some people, you would think that Nikita Mazepin has the ability of Yuji Ide, which is completely unfair. You know, he is a good driver and he's shown that this year. And he showed that in that GP3 season that you referenced as well, Harry. Um, he didn't have a very good start to his junior career. Some of those results uh, in his earlier years are a bit shocking, um, but he has come on leaps and bounds in the, in the last few years. Um, so like Michael Schumacher, uh, like Michael Schumacher, like Mick Schumacher, uh, sure. I, d- I don't think he is uh, a fantastic prospect, but I do think he has the ability to carve out a, a reasonable career in Formula One. Uh, and just to say, because I do think people are... Uh, and like I say, there are character issues, but to focus on the racing and just the racing for a moment, I do think that people are being unfair towards Mazepin in comparison to Callum Eilert. If you gave me the choice between the two, I'd take Callum Eilert, but I don't think it's as wide a gap as people are making it out to be. Bear in mind that in GP3, when Mazepin finished second behind Antoine Hubert, Callum Eilert finished third that year, and they were in the same car. Nikita Mazepin won. And this season, there is literally one place separating them. Yes, there is a bit more of a points gap. Yes, Islet has had the better season, but it hasn't been by that much. You can't be a bad Formula 2 driver and finish third. It doesn't work. The guy's got talent. Yes, the guy's got money as well. I'm sure that's helped him in his case against Callum Islet, uh, but I would not rule him out as someone who could forge out a solid career in the sport. And just to say as well with Haas, they might not even be existing right now if it weren't for Mr. Mazepin's money. So they might not have had much of a choice in terms of taking him. But interested to see what they do. It'll be a very intriguing battle between the two of them and, and who comes out on top next year. And let's move on then to our final topic of the day. So as we referenced earlier, we have got two debutants in a Formula One Grand Prix. Fun fact, courtesy of... Uh, Sean Kelly, of course, virtual stat man. First time since the Italian Grand Prix in 2001 where two drivers have made their debut outside of the first race of the season. Thought that was quite interesting. 
Anyway, who are the drivers? Um, I don't know who the drivers were though. Oh, what is the point you're having a stat man? I swear to God. <sighs> Google, I'm on it. Oh, I'm. Uh, what's his name? Thomas um, Enge was one of them. Enge. The Czech guy. Yeah. <laughs> to work in a bank. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so bad. Um, I, I honestly can't remember who the other one was. Um, maybe Alex Jung, the, the the goat. Alex Jung. It'd have been around that time. Uh, it, Alex Jung. He was there. What a guy! What a was guy! Was he not already there, Thomas Eng? Yeah, yeah, I think you've nailed that, Ben. Oh, wow! Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Anyway, the two drivers that are making their debuts this weekend. You've got Pietro Fittipaldi racing for Haas in place of Roman Grosjean. You've got Jack Aitken racing for Williams in place of George Russell. Uh, Sam, focusing on Jack Aitken first, how do you think he'll get on? Um, well, if you points? have watched the yeah, if you've watched the full listening to the full podcast and whatnot, you'll you'll know that I think he's going to get points. Um, I think he will get points marginally on the fact that there'll be a lot of DNFs, as Harry's alluded to. Uh, and we know how reliable that Mercedes engine often is. Um, the Williams is often quite reliable as well in terms of the, across the field. It does well to finish races. Um, it's usually driver error that causes that to not be the case. So I'm hoping Jack Aitken continues on that front. Again, hence the bold prediction. I don't think he'll beat Latifi. I don't think he'll beat Latifi in qualifying. Um He's one of those drivers that is very much loved, uh, especially in F2. And I must admit, I do think there are drivers who are slightly more deserving to fill that seat when it became available for a race. Jack Aitken has not been anything remarkable in F2 this season. Been good. He's all right. I don't think he really deserves to be the first person to get called up. But hey, Williams are using reserve drivers, how reserve drivers should should be used. And... He was there. He's their reserve driver, so he gets the seat. Um, I don't think he's got a long-term career in Formula 1, and I do fear that this may prove that the case, unfortunately. Uh, he's a good driver. I think he'll do all right. I don't think he'll wow anyone. I don't think this, you know, the socks are going to come off for him. Um, but I, I hope he has a good race. I do hope he scores points. That would be amazing on my debut, right? I, I really think that would be quite cool. <laughs> So, um, Harry, I imagine you are devastated that Goat Nasani has been looked over <laughs> on this one. But looking outside of that bias, do you think Aitken will do all right? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Nasani cruelly overlooked and, uh, and Dick Richard. He must also be must gutted. Um, I mean, Williams have, <laughs> Williams have got reserve drivers come out of their ears. They've got so many. Um, yeah, look, I think... Yeah, I, I agree with Sam. I think Aiken is, is a, he's a solid driver. I think he has been unlucky um, this season, although he's has had some poor races from himself. But um, yeah, I think just he's a solid driver. I think he'll just do a, a solid job all weekend. Uh, I don't think he'll beat Latifi. And if he does beat Latifi, Latifi's going to have to have a long, hard look in his Canadian mirror and say, what are you doing here, mate? Are they different uh, to normal mirrors? Yeah, they're they're frozen because it's always snowing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think I'll do a, a, a fine job. I don't think this is the... Well, is it make or break? I don't think he's going to be signed for Williams next year if he does a fantastic job because Russell's going to be in that seat. Um, 
you know, it could do his stock as a racing driver good, but I don't think it's going to change anything massively for him. Yeah, I think in the in this position, and Aitken does have that advantage where he is the reserve driver. That is a benefit because unlike the situation where Hulkenberg was involved, he does have experience of the car. He's actually driven a, a, a practice session earlier on in the year. No pressure on him, but they might fancy uh, getting a point. And this is what we discussed earlier on, is that he doesn't have the Ferrari power unit, which is a big plus for this circuit. Um, yeah, he George Russell beat the guys around him last week. He might he might fancy it. It's a new track, could be carnage. No one's got an experience of that configuration. Maybe he pulls something out of the bag. Um, he does go in with, of course, lower expectations. I always think it's a pretty good uh, spot to be in where you don't have too much pressure on your shoulders. How well he does. I mean, I've obviously got him out qualifying Latifi as my bold prediction because Latifi let me down last week. Not letting you forget that either, Nicholas. Um, but yeah, I I don't think this will do any bearings in terms of his future in Formula One. I don't think he has one, unfortunately. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think there are more impressive drivers in Formula Two, but good luck to him. I, I hope everything goes well for him. And what about the other driver then? So Pietro Fittipaldi is replacing Roman Grosjean at Haas. How do you think he might get on, Sam? Uh, I think he's a little bit more of an unknown kind of uh, quantity in, in racing at the moment. He's a bit younger than King. He's had a little bit less experience in the junior formulas. Um, the guy obviously comes from a very talented background. Um, I've, some bloke called Emerson, I think, got punted by Kimi Broadbent once. Um, yes, that's what Emerson Fittipaldi is best known for. I think so. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we, we we move on. Um, I you know that horse is a dog. That horse is not a good car. Um, he's <laughs> going to have a tough time. I think he's got the Ferrari engine, as, as Ben rightfully said. The Williams does not have, and will be better off for it in the long run. Um, if we can keep up with Magnussen, uh, maybe even beat Magnussen. Who knows? You know, if if he can just hold on. And have a good few scraps. I think it will bear him well. But again, unfortunately, I think it's unlikely we see him in Formula One in the next couple of years. Anyway, there's such a lineup of talent that is related to the Ferrari family in front of him that I think are more ready and more raring to go. That again, um, I don't think this will kind of change anything for him. If he has a good race, great. I think a few people will be aware of him, will follow his career. But I don't think this opens the door immediately to an F1 seat. But on the other hand, I also don't think he can really mess things up unless he absolutely bings it, unless he takes someone out badly. Um, I really don't think this could be too damaging for him. It's all good experience. It's all eye-opening. And you never know. Someone might just notice him a bit more and go, ah, I like what I see. And something could happen. But again, I don't think this is going to be absolutely wow-worthy. And I don't think he's going to be making uh, headlines unless something bizarre happens. So best of luck to him. I hope it goes well, but I'm not expecting anything dramatic. Do you expect Fittipaldi to win the race, Harry? Yeah, why not? Uh, no, I don't think he'll win the race. Um, Thanks for clarifying. Well, you know, you know, there'll be someone going. Yeah, but you've said Bottas is going to win the race. And that's <laughs> um, that <is> so true. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you know, uh, Ben. You mentioned the pressure that on Aiken had the chance of a Williams chance of a point. I think it's kind of the opposite for Fittipaldi in that. I don't think Haas will be expecting much. They were Mangsen was last last weekend. I think it'll be, the Haas team will be even more last 
this weekend, quite possibly. Um, so, you know, Fittipaldi just has to keep his nose out of trouble. Yeah, it's just good experience for him. And, yeah, I think keeping it clean is, as it is for Aiken as well, obviously, but um, keeping it clean it will be key. And, you know, if there is carnage, which I'm hoping slash, slash half expecting, um, he might salvage something out of it. But, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure he'll be, he'll be fine. I think for for a 24-year-old racing driver, Pietro Fittipaldi is ridiculously well-travelled. He has pretty much done everything in racing by the age of 24. He's done he's done NASCAR, he's done IndyCar, he's done Formula 3, he's done DTM, he's done the F3 Asian Championship. He's just done everything at 24 years old. Unfortunately, he hasn't really done well in any of them either. Um, I think his versatility in this respect actually means he's a decent call here and I don't think he'll embarrass himself at all he's clearly had a career where he's had to adjust to to new cars at a moment's notice um so I I don't think that will be as much of a challenge for him as it might be for uh for someone else who came into the role instead of him yeah I I, to be quite honest I don't think Fittipaldi's at a Formula One level his last win came in 2016 so it's been a number of years since he won a race um, and even then, that was in the um, the MRF Challenge, which is not, in terms of ability, isn't the best championship in the world. He's never really shown anything that implies that he's got Formula One potential about him. So I don't expect a great deal. I think Magnussen will will beat him quite comfortably here. But it's, as you said, Harry, I don't think he's he's not coming in with the expectation of someone like George Russell, where he's got a car that could get points. The Haas, it's going to have to be a ridiculous race if Haas are in a position to score points. Um, so, yeah, I I think no pressure on his shoulders. I think I don't think he'll embarrass himself um, and he can just go out there and enjoy himself, really. Well, that is Formula One this week. I can't believe we managed to get through it all. There's been so much that's happening, but... We will be back, of course, on Sunday for our review of the Secure Grand Prix. Sam, until that point, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here. This race is going to be a bit crazy. And I hope everyone who is listening to the podcast goes out there and has an absolute blast this weekend. Um, last couple of races of the season, it's all to play for. Elbow's out. Let's have some jolly old fun. Chat to us over the weekend on, on Twitter at Breaking. Let us know what you think about everything we've said here, what's going on with the race. And, of course, join us for the race review which is going to be coming up on sunday afternoon slash evening because you know time's fun anyway in the meantime i've been samuel sage i've been ben hopping and alex young and remember keep breaking late
Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.